Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him podcast. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. How are you doing over there? Where is the energy level today? Um, pretty low. I'm, as we speak, I am staring at the monitor of our sleeping children who are not sleeping. One is wiggling around, and the other one is... Doing like some weird yoga in his crib right now. He's walking around in his crib with his dinosaur. So let's hope we get a podcast today. Let's see what happens. I got my black coffee. You don't have black tea today. You have, you don't even have black coffee either. You have the nice like caramel macchiato creamer in there. Is that what that is? Yeah. I used to be on the level of black coffee and then I decided it was disgusting. Yeah, I so, like my coffee as black as my soul. As your teeth. And <laughs> <laughs> and as hot as my love for you. Oh, hey, hey, hey. But anyways, that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about coffee. You know what I want to talk about today is you how tell me. unsettling it is when someone says with gusto and with passion, the Bible clearly says... Followed by something that is highly controversial and not at all agreed upon that that's what the Bible says. All right. We are stepping into (laughs) a really heavy conversation, aren't we? Well, and I feel like it happens with relative frequency. I mean, apparently the Bible is really clear about things that it's unclear about. (laughs) You said that so clearly. I know. I see what you did there. Yeah, I think it is a matter of people (laughs) really being able to take just about every verse out of context and apply it to exactly what they want it to mean. So you could have somebody on one end of the issue that maybe they're very conservative, and then you could have somebody who's a bit more liberal in their views. And both of them could find Bible verses that equally support their view Not equally in terms of that's what the Bible is actually talking about, but equally in terms of the number of verses they can cite that they claim support their view. It is interesting how if you try hard enough, you can get the Bible to say just about anything that you want. And so if you're for racial justice, you can get the Bible to say that God's about racial justice. However, if you're for slavery, you can actually get the Bible to say Mm -hmm. that God is for slavery. And that's what a lot of people did, particularly slave owners. Um, And, you know, many people who were involved even in the beginnings of the evangelical movement, like George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, to a lesser extent in being vocal about it, but he was a slave owner and obviously thought that it was justified biblically. Say if you're a pacifist, you can find verses that support you. But if you believe that the Crusades were a good thing, you also can find verses that would support you. And it was actually the Pope that ordained that uh, kind of citing scripture and interpreting it. If you're a Democrat, you can find things that support the Democrats in the Bible. And if you're a Republican, you can find things that support Republicans in the Bible. Right. But either way, this is extremely upsetting because it means that people are weaponizing Scripture. And they're trying to find the support of Scripture in order to reaffirm what they already believe, as opposed to letting Scripture inform them of what their beliefs should be. Right. And so all this kind of begs the question— How can we know what the Bible actually says? Because there's a lot of people saying the Bible says, and they're saying a bunch of weird and different stuff from each other. How can we actually know what God says in the Bible? Yeah, this is 
something that we've spent a lot of time studying from, for me, from undergrad to graduate school. This is the foundational piece of Christian studies, of biblical studies, of seeking education in these fields is actually to try and figure out how do we understand scripture? How do we read it? And how do we know what it's actually saying versus how do I make it say what I want it to say? And one of the first things we learned in our studies is this idea of the intent of the author. So what is it that the author was trying to say to the original audience that they were writing to? Yeah, and that's really important to understand this concept of authorial intent, because there's never been an author that wrote something that wasn't trying to say something. There was there was always an intention of that author to say something that would be understood. It would be like if someone, so we write a lot of blogs, if someone took one of my blogs and they, they pulled out one of the sentences from my blogs or one of the paragraphs and they say, you know what this paragraph means to me? And then they go on to talk about nothing that that sentence was talking about and just kind of pulled it out of context and made it like some weird thing. That would be upsetting to me because I feel like they would be attributing to me something that I did not say, something that I did not intend to say. I mean, if they want to say it, they can just say it, but don't attribute that to me because that wasn't my authorial intent. And so when you think about the biblical authors, how upset they would be as someone who was divinely inspired, who was given a message by God that was then recorded for people to understand it, for us to then pull it out of context and weaponize it and use it for our own agenda. That's that's more than just a personal offense. That's an offense against truth itself, against God himself. And so really this this idea of authorial intent is the bedrock of us kind of cutting through the fog of the Bible is clear about things that it's unclear about. And so where this conversation is going to go is we kind of want to dive into like, how do you get at that? Yeah, we want to figure out like, how can we understand what these biblical authors meant when they wrote what they wrote? Because the Bible never says what it never said. So if (laughs) (laughs) the Bible, we got some good turn of phrases here. Yeah. (laughs) The Bible can never say what it never said. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yet somehow we make it say things it never said. Right. Um, so if we want to get the Bible right, we have to first understand a couple of things. One of the main things is that we are disconnected from the original human authors that wrote the letter or the book or narrative or whatever piece of scripture you're looking at. We are disconnected from that original author. We are disconnected from them in terms of time, in terms of geography. I mean, we're in Corona, California. That's really a long way away from where these scriptures were originally written. And even in terms of language. So the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew. Some of it was written in Aramaic and then um, Greek. Right, but not the Greek and the Hebrew that we know today, like old stuff. Yeah. So even it would be if, like if saying like Shakespeare is written in English, it's like sort of. Yes and no, because English speakers today don't even understand Shakespeare. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So there's just a lot of ways that we need to understand that we're disconnected from 
the original authors and, and not even just them as people, but in terms of, again, time, culture, geography. So there's a lot of preliminary work that we have to do as we begin to read scripture in order to build that bridge. And that's a pretty common phrase within just studying scripture and preaching is how do you build that bridge? How do you build that bridge from the original author, their intent to the person reading scripture today, which would be us. And that is really challenging sometimes. It's not an easy task. Um, It doesn't mean that the Bible can never be understood or that it's way too complicated, but we do have to understand that there are some things that we need to keep in mind as we begin to read scripture. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are deeply connected to the divine author, right? So it's not just the words of of Paul or of Peter or of Moses or of David. Like these words were inspired by God. And so we are connected to him and he gives us the understanding and the wisdom to be able to receive the word of God and know what it says. Yeah, and I think that's a really important kind of duality that we need to understand. In one sense, we're very hyper-disconnected from the Bible in the sense that written thousands of years ago by some people in the Middle East or in Greece or uh, wherever who have a different culture, who are in a different historical context, who have uh, different language and different idioms and kind of cultural ways of saying things. So in that sense, it's like highly disconnected. But if we look at the dual authorship of scripture, one being the human author and another being the divine author, we're connected deeply to the divine author. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit who is with you and in you and among you, who is actually going to illuminate the scripture. He won't necessarily give you supernatural insight into the historical context and the <laughs> linguistic issues, but where he, he will illuminate is in how the truth in Scripture is relevant in your life, how it does apply to your heart and your transformation and your relationship with Him. And so there's a little bit of work that we have to do, but really that's just setting the stage for the work that He's going to do in us. Yeah, and as we dive deeper into this topic and even what we're going to enter into next, it might feel a little academic in some ways. And so we're really hoping that you are not discouraged from reading your Bible. Uh, we, we definitely want you to stick around until the end of this podcast because you don't have to go to seminary in order to read your Bible. They might already be gone. (laughs) Dang it. They already clicked away. Come back. They can't hear anymore. They, (laughs) they like, they've switched over to like, if you're still listening, tell your friends to come back. Um, Yeah, and so we think it's important to share these insights of understanding Scripture and even what we learned in seminary because it's certainly changed the way that I read Scripture. I was one of those people that grew up reading one verse and then sitting there and praying, like, how does this apply to my life today Uh, for, like, the next half hour? (laughs) You don't even know what it means? I have no idea what what it means, but it applies somehow. Um, And... I was telling Dale before we did this podcast, like if you were to go back and look at my journals, yikes. I'm actually super curious. Yeah, me too. I should, we should pull them out. I have like three of them. Did you do the thing where you would just flip to random pages and then like land on something? Yeah. I wasn't even reading like a whole book. Oh, it was, it was literally just one verse. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it was like, oh, I got five minutes. So like whatever I can read in five minutes. Oh, and you just kind of. It just sit down, open. let it. No, I didn't let it fall open, but I would just open it and. Oh, he's like, oh, this page looks nice. I got some pink highlighter here. No, I usually it's like, ah, oh, I read the Gospels like last week. The let's, Gospels are so last week. Let's try and read something else. <laughs> like I wanted to jump around, or like, oh, I you know was reading the New Testament yesterday. Let me read the Old Testament today. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know. And I, actually, it's important that you mention that because a lot of people do that and so we don't want to like make fun of people i mean we're being kind of jokey but we don't want to make fun of me yeah we don't want to make fun of people for doing that but we do want to point out that's probably not the most helpful way to read your bible because of what we'll be talking about here in the next few minutes which is this theological field of study called hermeneutics and now hermeneutics oh, gosh. <laughs> is, I don't know why, why. I don't know why you did that. I don't know why I made it sound like a Hebrew word. No, it's, it's a Greek not, word. It's, Greek. it's a Greek word, or it comes from a Greek word that just means to interpret. So it's really a, a field of study about interpreting scripture. And so if you go to a Bible college or if you go to a seminary, they actually have a whole department, the hermeneutics department. And the people in that department are dedicated not only to studying scripture, but studying the field of studying scripture. Like, not just studying scripture, but studying how we study scripture. And there's big, big fat books that they write that they force you to read yeah. that are like, not, they're like, they're like dry chicken breast. <laughs> Highly nutritious, <laughs> packed full of protein, but man, just boring as all get out. <laughs> Has all get out. You had such old man phrases. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to understanding hermeneutics, and again, like there are people who dedicate their entire life to studying what it is to study scripture. One of the first things we have to understand is we should not ask, what does this verse mean to me? At least as soon as you sit down and read it. Like there's other things that need to happen as you're reading before you're already at the point of what does this mean for me and in my life? Well, I wouldn't... Even, to start there. Yeah, I wouldn't even ever ask the question, what does it mean to me? I would ask, how does it apply to me? Oh, right. Because, That's a better way to phrase it. Yeah, because like the meaning is not fluid. Mm. Like it's not changed. Like it, this document is thousands of years old. Like the, the meaning of what they were trying to say is set. The application to your life, that is highly fluid depending on your experiences, where you're at in your life, what's going on. That's really important that you said that. And thank you for correcting my word choice. Because I've met people who've told me they're reading something in scripture and they're like, wow, God really spoke to me through that. And I, that meant something different for me than it means for you. But that's not the right way to understand it. The application for you might be different. But the meaning is what it is. You can't change the meaning of scripture depending on your life season. So people who open up and read, you know, Philippians 4.13, that's not a verse that has different meaning depending on who you are and what you're doing in your life. What is Philippians 4.13? I don't have it memorized. I have it paraphrased. Oh, is it? Um, I can do all, I can things. Do all things. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Let me just make sure I'm quoting the right one now that you called me out on it. Philippians 4.13 is I can do all things to the Lord who strengthens me. Uh, you know, I, I thought I could fly and then I jumped off the roof and yeah, quoting much. that verse and I broke my arm. Thank and so. you. Whatever. Thanks for calling me out. 
Okay, yeah. So Philippians 4.13 is a really good example because you have a lot of athletes who use that verse on their backpacks and um, stitched into their shoes or something. I don't know. <laughs> it makes them fly. They're like, please, uh, football, I can do all things. I can give this guy a concussion. <laughs> right. So application, well, I don't even think that's the right application for it either. But um, to say that a verse has a different meaning for everyone is absolutely incorrect. That's just not how it works. Because what it, what was written and its purpose and its meaning will always be from the time it was written until the end of time, because that's what it means. So you can't say that things have different meaning depending on who you are and depending on what season of life you're in. And it's also important that we don't look at individual verses in isolation. And something that I learned in seminary, which I was already aware of, is the actual numbering within a book in terms of, you know, giving it numbers and verses. That was not original. So when something was written, it didn't have these breaks the way that we see them in our Bibles. And I think that the breaks actually are a disservice to us sometimes because we want to say, oh, let me just read 10 verses here instead of completing the full thought of the author. That's really how it should be read. You should want to read the full thought of what they're expressing so then you can really understand what's happening there. Because if you cut the author off mid-thought you're not really understanding what they're saying. And again, I think that that's a large disservice of the versification that we see in scripture. I actually have an app. It's just the ESV study Bible app, but I have it to where it removes the verse numbers. So when I read it, I'm just reading it, not telling myself, all right, I read 10 verses. I can stop now. Right. Yeah. If you ever want to sound smart in your Bible study group, just say, you know, the versification wasn't inspired. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to sound smart. I think you're just going to sound snobby and rude. <laughs> but really, it wasn't. It, it wasn't there in the original. It was added centuries later. And it, it does us a service in that we can find stuff a lot faster. You can thumb through it and get to where you need to be. Yeah, it's good for organizational quickly. purposes. But outside of that, it, it has really hampered us by putting us in a box and cutting off a thought before it was complete. Cool. So there are some kind of steps we've been talking a lot about, like kind of the wrong way of doing things. Mm. But how do we actually get at the meaning of a verse, say Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, first you have to understand the context of that verse within the paragraph and within the book. So th those, as we said, those verses don't happen in isolation. They're part of a broader thought. So first, you need to step back and look at that larger context. Then you also need to look at the historical context the best you can. And this is where like commentaries help. This is where study Bibles help. They give you a little bit of context there. You also need to understand the genre. Is it a letter? Is it a poem? Is it a proverb? You don't read all of those the same. They don't have all the same meaning. And then from there, you can seek to bridge the gap. Once you have that understanding how the original context relates to our context today, and it, it often does in very relevant ways. Yeah, and that's important to note because the Bible is not stuck in the time period that it was written. It's alive and active, and it's still mm -hmm. working in our lives. So just because it was written thousands of years ago in a culture we are not part of, in a language we will never know, 
Um, I mean, in, we knew it a little bit for a while. I, it's sort of. I but feel I like wouldn't they say should we take it. off like dollar amounts in my student loans for every time I forget something about Greek grammar. Is that the way we wouldn't I, have? I feel we like that's have a, any, it would be wiped out at this right, point. We would have no more debt. That'd be great. Yeah, but the the Bible is alive and active, and it is relevant in our lives today. So we have to. Remember that and not think it's just some dusty old book that we can't understand. And after listening to this podcast, we, you might have thought, well, even more so, I can't understand it. They just told me that. But that's not true. We just have to be mindful of the work that we have to do on our end in order to really understand what it's saying. Right. And just remember, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who's not. Oh, I just feel like every time someone says that, I'm like, well, take better care of your Bible. Like, put it in a case or something so that it's not falling apart. You got, if you have all your notes in there, you don't want that thing falling out of the binding. <laughs> just duct tape it. Anyways, so we've been talking a lot about, this is kind of a specific approach to studying Scripture, applying Scripture, and is very much located within historical grammatical ideas. And that's kind of the prevailing thought of the day. But more recently in the past... I don't know, decade or so, there's kind of an alternative method, or you might even view it as a supplementary method. Someone would view it as an opposing method of biblical interpretation is something called the theological interpretation of Scripture. And that's probably a a podcast in its own, but we wanted to touch on it a little bit here because there are a lot of those within academia who are advocating for it. And there's actually a lot of discussion kind of behind it. And I'll give you a definition of what the theological interpretation of Scripture is. Make sure you say it really slow. Because when you read it to me this morning... This is before you had your black tea. I didn't have any caffeine in me. I was feeding a baby. Another baby was kicking me. So I had no idea what you were talking about. So just read, make sure you read it slow. <laughs> okay, I'll read it slow and then I'll... You just like and hit, then explain hit the, it. Yeah, hit the fifteen second back and then hit it. Read it again. Okay, so the, the it's a bit of a doozy. The theological interpretation of scripture can be defined as the reading of biblical texts that consciously seeks to do justice to the theological nature of these texts and embraces the influence and direction of theology on the interpreter's inquiry, context, methods. And results. So, rewinding. Got it. It's a reading of the biblical text that consciously seeks to do justice to the theological nature of these texts. These aren't just historical documents. These are theological documents. These are supernatural documents. And also embraces the influence and direction of the theology of the interpreters, the one reading it, their inquiry, context, methods, and results. And so basically what that's saying is that while uh, most teachers... Of, of the kind of historical grammatical approach to understanding scripture would say that when we come to a text, what we need to do is we need to set aside our theology. Say you're, you're a Baptist. You need to set aside your Baptist theology. Say you're a Presbyterian. You need to set aside your Presbyterian theology. Um, whatever, you, you're a Calvinist, you're a Arminian, whatever. You need to set aside your theological background and almost bracket it off, pretend it doesn't exist, then look at the text and objectively, scientifically, forensically understand what that text means and then incorporate it back into your theology or adjust your theology 
accordingly. And what the theological interpretation of Scripture, or TIS, what they're saying is that's basically impossible. And I think the historical grammatical people would agree with them to mm-hmm. an extent. Like, there's no yeah. way that you, that I can remove myself from my historical context, my theological context, and just be like this abstract, objective investigator. Well, because we can't do that with anything in life. We can't remove all of our presuppositions and our biases. Right. Like, there's there's no such thing as, like, a contextless environment. Right. And again, the historical grammatical people would agree to that to an extent, but I think the theological interpretation of Scripture people uh, kind of feel that a, a little bit more strongly in that they're completely opposed to even attempting a very kind of detached forensic study of Scripture. And there's kind of theological reasons for that, that the Bible isn't merely a historical document that we mine into for truth. It's not just like this intellectual Victorian process that we're engaging in. It's a spiritual exercise. And and what's more is that our understanding of the way we interpret the Bible and the way that most seminaries teach and the way that we were taught and the way that we would teach you, the tools and techniques that, that we use, that actually didn't come into vogue until like the 18th, 19th century. So we're talking like 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 years until people started looking at the Bible the way that we look at the Bible so there's something to to the relative recency of that that was like okay let's let's pause on that and see how we should evaluate that because there are early church writings like from church fathers that if we read them and the way that they interpret scripture and say like they were preaching today we're like wow that guy plays really fast and loose with the scripture and you can just think about say, like, allegorical interpretations of Scripture. And there's some of them actually endure. And the one case is, like, where people look at Ezekiel, and I forget where the other passage is. It might be either in Isaiah or in Jeremiah, where it's talking about this ruler that has fallen from grace. And it was allegorically interpreted originally, like, in the the 3rd and the 4th century to be talking specifically about the fall of Satan from heaven. So we get this whole narrative about the fall of Satan from heaven. He took a third of the angels, and we get it from an allegorical uh, understanding of Scripture. We were just talking about this this earthly leader, in this ruler of this nation, and we actually carried that with us. But it's a bad interpretation of those particular passages, at least if we're using our historical grammatical approach that we use now. And we're like, whoa, that's weird. And you, you think about, like, I mean, they got to some weird places like— uh, third century um, patristic writer Origen actually ended up castrating himself because of just trying to stave off sexual desires because Yikes. they had some weird mm. kind of idiosyncrasies about that. And he got that from his interpretations of scripture. Ooh. And so they had some weird stuff going on there, but there was also a lot of good stuff that came out of that. And we obviously hold um, a lot of these church fathers uh, in high regard, Origins is a little bit of a different case. That there's a right. bunch of stuff that happened in his life. There's some good stuff. There's some bad stuff. So like, we'll just set him aside for the moment. <laughs> but there are some others that that we still look to and should look to because they they give us great insight. They were a lot closer to the situation than we are, if they're removed by you know just a couple hundred years and we're removed by two thousand years. That that they have they have a lot of good insights, but at the same time they don't they didn't interpret scripture the way that we do. Right. And so to kind of summarize the details of everything that you just said, 
there's the difference between the historical grammatical approach, which says that you need to leave behind any presuppositions, anything you already think you know about the Bible as you're sitting down and reading it, um, where TIS would say, no, we need those things. We need them to some degree. And really what they're trying to get at is they're trying to tap into what God is saying through the text rather than primarily or solely focusing on what the human author is saying and then just backstamping that to God. So they're trying to get at what is God saying? Like what is God saying now yeah. through the text? Right. Because God is, you know, living and active through the text. Right. This isn't a dead book, it's a living book and we mm-hmm. serve a living God. And and really what we can see in these two different approaches is we're moving from modernism to postmodernism. And we're seeing that change even in the way that we're understanding how to study scripture. So we see that shift even affecting that. But history has shown that we are not objective in the way that we interpret scripture. And so we need to be more honest and upfront about that when we come to the text. So as much as we want to say the historical grammatical approach is the best way because we're trying to remove all of our own assumptions going in, we know that that's actually impossible to do. Mm -hmm. And so... We need to find the balance between the two approaches. Right, because the, and a lot of people use postmodernism like as a dirty word. Right. Like there's the modernism and there's postmodernism and postmodernism is like, they're all universalists and. Oh, anytime you hear They're anyone, hippie weirdos that smoke a bunch of weed and all that kind of stuff. Anytime you hear someone preach on like, our, we're in a postmodern world and here's why that's so terrible. That's not what we're saying. Right. There's actually something good because in a modernist perspective, there was kind of a lack of self-awareness in saying, like, I am being objective when 20 years later we look at them and say, no, you weren't. You were very culturally, historically located yes. where you were. Yeah. And you were you were not informed about that. And so it, it tilted you in a certain way and you weren't even kind of cognizant of that. And so you just thought that was the truth when that truth was informed by your context. And so us living now, we can't assume that we are completely objective because we are located in our 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 culture and our history and our and our kind of spot in the timeline of of the world's mm-hmm. events. And so we need to be aware of that, admit that, uh, understand our shortcomings of that, understand that we're bringing our theology to the text with us and not, you know, make apologies for that and then when the truth of the scripture butts up against that, we revise that. So there's a level of objectivity that we need to maintain. We can't just go completely willy-nilly, and that's what this podcast is kind of about. But there is a balance in in knowing that we're not just forensic researchers. This is a spiritual endeavor to understand scripture. Yeah, because the meaning of scripture will always be the same. Our understanding will change as we grow and as we mature, and really— in many ways, it should. It should change as you continue to mine through Scripture and understand what it means. Um, and it might, like you said, butt up against the theology that you've had your whole life. And that's okay. It There's room for you to change your theology because if you say there's no room to change theology, then you're saying that you fully understand Scripture in all of its depth and all of its width. And I'm sorry, but you don't. So (laughs) people spend their whole life studying it and they realize 
wow, maybe I didn't get that right. And, and so we need to allow wiggle room and we need to allow grace, um, in our understanding and studies of scripture. But we have to know that like we're continuing to strive forward in what we understand. And so you might be thinking, well, great. This is super informative for people who are going to be teaching scripture. Uh, no, this is actually helpful for you too, because if you're not teaching it, you, you're reading it and you're understanding it and applying it in your life. And it is important that you know how to do that well. And you feel equipped to do that as opposed to being willy nilly yourself with the scriptures. And that kind of leads us into our next topic that we wanted to bring into this podcast is how can I know if someone is using a Bible verse correctly? I think that is a common question because there's a lot of people using a lot of Bible verses to say a lot of things and it's hard to know (laughs) which ones are right. It is. And you listen to people, for example, Joel Osteen, who sounds like he's teaching scripture. He sounds like he is reading the text and he's teaching it um correctly and he's not did you know by the way he has like this device that he sells it's almost like it's almost like an alexa dot but it's like a joel osteen i don't even know what he calls it but it's like it's like an alexa but joel osteen and it's like words of encouragement or whatever and you can say like hey joel tell me something good and it'll be like he'll say like you are valued Mm. there's nothing that's gonna get in your way God is going to tear down walls. And and like he has like wow. know, a couple hundred phrases. Like Google it. Google Joel Osteen Alexa thingy. thingy. And you'll see it's a <laughs> real thing. I legit thought it was like a Babylon Bee article. But it wasn't. It was but real. It's, real. it's wow. a real product. And it's like expensive. It's like I can't remember how much it was, but it was like Yikes. 40 bucks or something like that. Yikes. Anyways, that's completely sidetracked. It is. But back to the question. So how can I know if someone is using a Bible verse correctly when they sound like they are and they're reading it to me and I'm opening up my Bible and that verse is actually in there? Like, yep, they quoted it correctly. Right. Like, that's there. How do I know if they're using that verse correctly? That is a good question. And I think this is something that you have to grow in your confidence in being able to evaluate that. Mm. over time yep so let's say like you're listening to this and like maybe you've read your bible kind of briefly and sporadically but you don't really know it's in there it's still a little bit kind of daunting you're still kind of at the beginning of that journey you're probably not going to have a ton of confidence in being able to evaluate where someone may or may not be misapplying a text or misinterpreting a text so i think the first step in that is and this sounds super rudimentary, like read your Bible, like read through the New Testament. And once you've read through the New Testament, read through it again and just get a high level understanding of what's in there, because that's going to help you a lot with context. Like when someone says something and they're like, oh, and Jesus said this in Matthew and such and such. And you're like, oh, is that from the parable of the talents? It sounds familiar from that was from the parable of the talents. And you kind of begin to have that context kind of built into your own mind. And that'll help you a lot if someone is not going with the point of the story that they're quoting by pulling one sentence out of it. You'll, be, you'll see yellow and red flags go up just by having a familiarity with, you know, where all the furniture is currently placed. 
That is so helpful because I've talked to people um, who have told me like, oh yeah, I listened to the sermon and here's what it was about. And, and I'm sitting here listening to them summarize what a sermon was about. And I'm thinking, oh no, that's bad. That's, that's That's real wonky. I don't know what they're trying to teach you. And it's not because I know that verse really well. It's not because I know that book of the Bible really well. It's just because I think at this point I've spent enough time in scripture to say that doesn't even feel like a theme in scripture. That doesn't feel <laughs> That's not even true. the right zip code. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't feel true to what I've read at all. And I might not even know what verse that sermon was based on. I just know what you're telling me feels and sounds not like scripture. And certainly you can then decide to dive further into that verse, but having a high level view of scripture and spend just spending enough time in it, you kind of get familiar with it and you know when something's off. Right. Like you just have that feeling. Yeah. And I do this all the time. Whenever like someone quotes a verse, immediately in my mind, I'm trying to think, oh, where was the context for that? And not that I'm trying to test the person that's you know, quoting it, but I'm just trying to kind of place that thought within the broader context of what that, that person is saying and what the biblical narrative is saying. And so immediately someone quotes a verse, I think, oh, where is that from? And if I can't remember even, I'm like, wow, I can't even remember like what's going on in that passage. What I'll do is I just quickly open my phone with my Bible app or I'll open my Bible and sit and I'll just kind of skim that chapter or that paragraph or that section. I'm like, oh, oh that's right, that's right. So that I can get, just kind of place it back in that context and that's super helpful. And so this is like a long kind of journey to gain confidence in that hmm. where you just, you know, consistency over time, just being in there, you, you begin to get familiar with stuff. Yeah. And another thing that could be helpful as you're trying to decipher whether or not that verse was in context is once you hear something and let's say it, it really stuck with you, because let's be honest, not every sermon is something you remember a week later. Oh, Tamara's That's, heard like dozens of my sermons. She remembers maybe like one it's thing It's just I've the said. reality of the way that the brain works. It's not any... Right. It's all gone by Tuesday. Yeah. So if there's something that really stuck with you and you remember it, just write that verse down. Write it down and commit to going back and reading the verses around it, the context around it. And you yourself can get a pretty good idea of whether or not that was the actual understanding of the verse that was being taught to you. And I've even done that in, in sermons that by preachers that I respect and I, and I know, and I know they are making every effort to stay true to scripture. But there's sometimes when I'll hear a verse and I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't, is that what that verse means? I'm not quite sure. I will actually go back and just like read the verses around it and Sometimes I agree with their <laughs> interpretation of it, and sometimes I'm like, mm, "Yeah, I think you were, I think you were playing a bit fast and loose with that one." Yeah, I tend to do that whenever. Uh, you do that way more often I, than I do. I it. do it just all the time, but <laughs> whenever uh, someone says something that challenges my assumptions, I want to go back and look at it, and whatever that verse was, and, and look at it, a commentary, Google it, listen to other sermons on that verse and try to look back and even if it was a grammatical thing, pull up my Bible software and look at the the grammar of it and, and kind of dive into it to, you know, the level to which you're able to, you know, a lot of times you can find some good stuff on, on Google with some free commentaries or if you pick up a commentary, 
uh, whenever something challenges my assumption, I, I want to dive into that to see if what that person said was accurate. And sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't think they really got that one right. doesn't mean they're a heretic, but you know, maybe I don't just agree with their interpretation of that. And other times I'm like, oh, my gosh, son of a gun. So-and-so was right, and I, I had no understanding of that before. Mm-hmm. They gave me some new history. They gave me some new understanding of the linguistics of it. They just kind of you know, illuminated it for me, and that's what teachers are supposed to do. And now I have a perspective shift. And so going down that rabbit trail – whenever something challenges your assumption that's said from scripture is a really good exercise in growing in your confidence in your ability to evaluate. Um, if you have something that, you know, yellow flag, red flag, j- yeah, jot it down and, and spend, spend some time, set some hours aside, set an, set an hour or two aside just to start looking into it, Googling around, uh, looking at commentaries and sermons and stuff. Yeah. And another kind of, sign or red flag or yellow flag to look into is if someone who is teaching decides to kind of rapid fire a bunch of verses to support what it is that they're saying and you're not quite sure if it's true or not that's usually a red flag and at first I would have thought like oh that's great they're telling me everywhere that it can be found but something that I learned in one of our preaching courses is um, we were actually taught to not cross-reference in your in your sermon or in your teaching because if you're trying to cross-reference that then means not only do you need to understand the passage that you're teaching from but then you also need to fully understand the context of that other verse and so if you're trying to add in five or six different verses from different places in scripture you then need to understand fully in context each and every one of those verses that you're citing and let's be honest, that's a lot of work for a, a pastor to do in one week. Yeah, it means you did um, like 10 hours of research on one statement. On one, yeah. yeah, on one point that you're making. And when I go back and I look at like the list of the verses you had, some of them are like, yep, that's what I was saying. And other ones, it really starts to fall apart. Yeah. And so it just because there's a lot of verses that are being quoted for one point, it doesn't necessarily mean that that point has a whole lot of support biblically. It usually just means that the person teaching is is trying to prove their point in some way or another. And that actually has been something super helpful that I learned from my preaching course in seminary. Yeah, whenever someone rapid fires a bunch of verses, I'm like, wait, wait, hold the phone. Let's start with that first verse and mm-hmm. like, let's take a look at it. Okay, give me the second verse. Let's take mm-hmm. a look at it. Like, mm-hmm. understand the context of each of those. Um yeah, more verses isn't necessarily better. Well understood verses is better. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and finally, the final thing that we wanted to touch on is be sure to run things by people you trust. Fellow Christians, they don't have to be teachers. They don't have to be people who went to seminary. They don't have to be, you know, someone who spends way too much time. Well, not way too much time, but someone who spends a lot of time studying scripture. It can just be someone that you trust. Someone else that you know is in the word of God, who understands it, who's reading through it and spending their time there. Go ahead and run it by them. Uh, Dale and I do that not only with one another, but we have other people in our lives that will run things by. And we have friends that will run stuff by us. And it's not just because we went to seminary, because we actually have friends who went to seminary as well, and they run things by us. So it's good to just have a group of people that you are able to run things by. 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, at least it's fun for me to kind of back and forth and kind of think out loud and process and kind of refine what you're understanding and how it might apply. A, a, a lot of that happens in conversation. It happens kind of with a whiteboard and mm. kind of, you know, it gets kind of messy and meandering. But eventually, you know, those are very enriching conversations that, are. that you can have where you just kind of kind of talking things through and thinking about it. Well, does this fit? Does it fit there? What about this? Uh, well, does that mean this then? You know, all those kinds of questions that you will run through when you're in the course of a conversation with somebody. And so a, a lot of us place this kind of really big value on like your morning quiet time. And I'm not saying more morning quiet time is a bad thing. Like my 10 minutes in my Bible with Jesus, that's a good thing. But I don't think that that's the end all be all of how we should be interacting with scripture. I think understanding scripture, studying scripture, applying it to your life, meditating on scripture is, it can be an individual thing. But I think first and foremost, primarily, it's meant to be a group project. Yeah. And that is largely supported by the way that scripture was originally used. I mean, not everyone had an individual Bible. That didn't happen until much later on. Until the printing press. Right. So this idea of having a personal Bible that you sit down and read is very new right. to us and to our culture and time. And we really lose out on the way that it was originally understood and its original tradition of hearing it and mm. then waiting for someone to teach you. And then there was discussion around it. And I think that we lose that today when we only focus on our, our morning quiet time or we only focus on that 10, 20 minutes that we sit and read the Bible. So it's important as you desire to understand scripture for yourself and also know whether or not people are teaching you correctly to be in groups where you're able to openly discuss those things. And even on a Sunday morning, you're hearing it, but you're not really having the opportunity to discuss it in the context of a Sunday morning, the way that churches are structured right now. Right. And I think that's why uh, small, small group groups structure exist. is there. Yeah. Because that's where it ends up happening. Yeah. But you don't sit down and talk to your pastor, usually. <laughs> right. Like you're that's not talking to the conversation yeah, you're not, than a two-way. Exactly. Yeah. You're not talking to the person who's actually teaching you. Um, so there is a lot of value in being in groups of people reading scripture together and discussing it together. Yeah, so we hope this has been helpful to you. If you feel more confused than you did at the beginning of this podcast. It's all Dale's fault. Just delete it, forget it, and go back to what you were doing. But if you did find it helpful, cool. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. Also, be sure to head over to our website, hernhim.com, and you can get show notes for this episode, read our blogs, and other helpful resources. We'd also love to hear from you, so you can email us at herandhimblog at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? We have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful devotional and timely prayer to you seven days a week. 
Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com.